What's up, everybody? This is John Bush from Armored Saint, and you are cranking it up on Mars Attack. Okay, what's up, everybody? This is Ross the Boss from the Dictators NYC and Death Dealer, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. This is Brittany Slays from Unleash the Archers, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. This is Billy Keaton with Audiotopsy, and you're listening to Mars Attack. It's Victor. Looking forward to seeing everybody on tour, the release of Natural Causes, and putting the metal down. Thank you very much. Hey there, this is Joey Vera from Armored Saint, and you are listening to Mars Attack. Hey all, here's Andrea Pizzer from Sepultura in De La Tierra, and you're listening to Mars Attack. Enjoy. Hey, Logan Mater here from Once Human. You're listening to Mars Attack. Yo, what's up? This is Frank Fellow from Anthrax, and you are listening to Mars Attack. Turn it up! Hey guys, this is Stu Marshall from Blasted to Static, and you're listening to Mars Attack. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Martin from Blasted to Static, and no, it's not the 17th moon. It is Mars Attacks. And you're here now. Beware. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Welcome, one and all. To another episode of the Mars Attacks Podcast, I'm your host Victor. This is episode 119, and during this episode we have two very special guests. We have Stu Marshall, who is known for his project Empires of Eden. He's also a part of Death Dealer with Ross the Boss, and... He's part of a new project with Jeff Martin called Blasted to Static. So we will get to talk to Stu about everything that I just mentioned, all those bands, how pretty much Blasted to Static and Death Dealers came up, came about for him uh, because they all sort of intertwine with his Empires of Eden project. He talks about that and why it abruptly ended, or not abruptly, but why after four albums, there's he feels there's pretty much nowhere else to go with that project. So there you go. And afterwards, we have Jeff Martin of Racer X, MSG, and Badlands fame, amongst others. And he's part of Blasted the Static as well. We'll check out a track from Blasted the Static later on. Um, but he talks in depth about Badlands, about Ray Gillen, about a lot of different things that took place. Uh, there are a lot of rumors out there regarding Badlands and what happened, you know, after Ray was let go. And it, it's all very interesting. Being someone, and, and I mentioned this to... Uh, to Jeff, someone that really loved Badlands, period, but Voodoo Highway, to me, is my favorite album by them. Call Me Weird, what have you, but I just love that album. It's just great uh, from front to back, so uh, we'll check out something off of that album later on. And, yeah, he talks about Racer X, he talks about a bunch of different things, does some great impersonations as well, so... It was a trip. Um, both of these guys were featured on this episode because they lent their their comments to upcoming episodes of the Classic Albums column. Now, I mentioned this 
during these last few weeks, and I'll lay this out on the line for you. So September is the sixth anniversary of the Mars Attacks podcast and radio show. Uh, So as a result, what a lot of you guys always ask me to do are these albums episodes, the classic albums column, as they were originally called, classic album series, however you want to call them. Uh, A lot of people ask that I do these. They're the hardest episodes to put together because you have to factor in a lot of different things with the labels and PR and get artists lined up to talk about their old albums or artists that are promoting other things to talk about albums. And it's difficult to piece everything together. But since I do want to celebrate the show, since I know that a lot of you guys dig this stuff, the month of September will have nine classic albums columns. That's all we will have for September. Uh, Basically, every Tuesday and Thursday in September, you will have a new classic albums column. That is what I'm putting together. I've spent countless hours this week editing audio. I still have, um, I don't know, six hours (laughs) of audio to edit. And... um, Basically, this is how it's going to lay out. Starting on September 1st, you will have Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz, followed by ACDC's Back in Black, followed by Arise by Sepultura, Misfits, Earth AD, Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry, Overkill, Taking Over, Anthrax, The Sound of White Noise, the self-titled debut by Kiss, and we will wrap things up with Led Zeppelin IV. So you have all of that to look forward to in September. And it is August 28th as I am recording this, 2015. So we're only a few days away. I have my work cut out for me. That's all I'm going to say. So I hope that you guys check those episodes out. I hope that you definitely enjoy them. And, you know, give me your feedback, whether that's via iTunes, whether that's on the Facebook page, whether that's via Twitter, uh, what have you, Google+. Uh, We have links to all that great stuff right there on the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com. Please drop us a line. Please like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, uh, on Google+, and leave your comments up up on iTunes. And aside from that, just want to remind you guys that earpeeler.com is my new podcasting news and interview site, and it's got all the latest interviews done by your favorite artists, your favorite shows, your favorite sites, and it focuses on that, basically. It's just podcasts and interviews, and with the podcasts, Uh, There are shows that do music-related shows. I have those in there as well. There are others that are well-known, and, you know, a lot of you people that like things like Talking Metal or the classic metal show, Gasp, that I said those back-to-back. But um, if you like those, you're probably going there to begin with. But if, for example, you're a casual fan and you're not following the show, but you're following a specific artist, well, you can go to the site, put the artist's name in, and if they come up, you'll see 
all of the various interviews that they've done or shows that they've been a part of. So there's that. You can follow things by genre. I mean, I've tried to break things up. I've tried to, you know, there are various tags uh, that are up there, so you can follow things by tags. Or at the bottom, you have the most popular columns, or excuse me, most popular posts all the way at the bottom of the page, left-hand column. That's what I wanted to say. So we have all that going on. That is earpeeler.com. We also have Facebook, Twitter, G+, and Tumblr for all that. You can find links to that at the top and bottom of earpeeler.com. Please pass on the good word to your friends regarding Mars Attacks and Earpeeler. And shortly there will be another site that I will be mentioning also. So, again, just trying to make ends meet. But um, anyway, let's get into some music here. Since both Jeff Martin and Stu Marshall are part of the show, we're going to feature some tracks uh, that they have been involved with over over the years, basically. Um, there's plenty to pick from. So, I mean, we could, we could go with a bunch of different things here, but I want to play the track that first that I first listened to by Racer X. Uh, this is a cover track. A lot of people didn't know this back then. And it's originally a Judas Priest track. Growing up in, in North Jersey, we had WSOU, and they used to play the ever-living crap out of this song. This is Heart of a Lion, originally by Judas Priest, but done by Racer X. <laughs> Crash 
A little Racer X there with Heart of a Lion. And how many people get to do backing vocals on a Judas Priest album? Well, I don't care if you put an asterisk by that because you say, oh, well, that was Turbo. He sung on Turbo, man, so that's like one of their worst albums. Uh, Yeah, he sung on it, you didn't. So (laughs) take it for what you will. Um, So to me, that's... That is a great accomplishment. Um, One of the other things that he discusses is how he actually introduced Satchel, who is in uh, Steel Panther, how he has a connection to him before Rob Halford ever met up with him. So you'll hear that during the interview also. Let's get into some Badlands right now. We'll get into the track. Uh, We're going to get into the last time, which is supposedly the first track that Ray Gillen and Jakey Lee wrote together, but it didn't appear on their first album. It appears on Voodoo Highway. And one of the things that I talked to Jeff about is the harmonies that he would do with uh, Ray Gillen. And definitely you could check Jeff Martin's backup vocals during this track so this kicks voodoo highway off let's check it out right now this is badlands with the last time
There you go, the last time. One of my all-time favorite hard rock tracks and one of my all-time favorite hard rock albums. Again, when people say the 90s sucked for rock, perfect example why they didn't. Anyway, let's get into some music from Death Dealer and then let's get into the interview with Stu Marshall. The name of this track is War Master and... It is off of the album War Master by Death Dealer. Your son is mistaken! 
So in the last few years, obviously, you put out the Empires of Eden album. You obviously had, you mentioned Mike Davis on the album, but you also had a bunch of different special guests on the album uh, that lent their vocals to it. How difficult was it to get everyone involved and to have sort of the same vision that you did? To, sure, sure. To, to sort of, you know, better these songs. Well, the story with Empires of Eden is uh, it's been a, an operational entity since about 2009. And I've completed four albums. Um, and and the, the last one that got released was number four, which is called Architect of Hope. Um, and every album has had a range of kind of celebrity guests uh, singing on the albums. And so for me, it's actually been a lot of fun. Um, I write all the music and then I hand it over and the singer has complete control over how they want to express themselves lyrically and melodically. So um, that, that's been a real joy. And what's happened is, is that the album's were quite successful in Japan, but uh, never really quite got the, the proper release they deserved, um, you know, with, with a label, larger label. And ironically, now I'm having some of the larger labels approach me about signing the back catalogue, but I've, I've actually just uh, wound up the Empires of Eden uh, system, so there's only going to be four albums, kind of back to what I was saying before. Um, right because I have two other bands happening at the moment. And uh, to, to answer your question, it's actually been a real joy. I mean, quite easy, uh, because I kind of write the songs as a fan. So when I wrote for Udo Dirkschneider, uh, when I wrote for Zach Stevens, I wrote stuff for them that I wanted to hear them sing. And it seemed to resonate with them musically, which was real easy. Um, so I'm also dealing, thankfully, with professionals. So pulling all this stuff together has been pretty pretty simple, but a lot of fun along the way. And, um, yeah, the, you know, those four albums make up a, a, a set, you know, that people can hear. Um, my music, they can hear, you know, some of these singers haven't really had as much control as they had in, in Empires. I was hearing that from a couple of them that, you know, they kind of told what to do. So this is really interesting that you're hearing sometimes the singers really expressing themselves in a way that uh, you probably wouldn't hear in their other bands. Was there anyone that you approached that either they, either they didn't have any interest or maybe they didn't have time to work on the, the track? Yeah, um, I originally, uh, originally approached Ralph Sheepers, I think, for the second album uh, from Primal Fear. And he was touring. He just didn't have the time. And I was able to secure him for the last album. So I finally, finally hunted him down. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I also uh, approached um, Michael Kiesk's manager, but they were a little busy. But I think we've had like 35 singers now over the four albums. And um, it, it's turned out to be a really great, great thing, you know, the last album had like Ralph Sheepers and Rick Altsy from Masterplan, uh, Jeff Martin from, from Racer X, so, um, yeah, it, it was a uh, pure fun, I can tell you, a really, really good time. If you were able to secure anyone to do a similar type project and have one person that really 
stands out to you that you would like to work with on one track? Who would that be? Well, uh, it'd have to be Rob Halford. <laughs> it'd have to be have to be the voice of metal. Um, and you know, if if Bruce Dickinson was available, <laughs> it'd be fantastic. So, um, I, I'm really confident I could write some stuff that that would crush the world with Rob and, and, and Bruce, much much like Roy Z. Roy's a buddy of mine. Um, and he you know, he did a fantastic job working with those two guys, but I'd love to love to write some music for them. Gotcha, okay. That would th- that wouldn't be too bad, you know. like you said, Halford would be great, but if Bruce was around not doing anything, I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't have a problem, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think uh, Bruce has his hands full. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, same thing with Rob. I, I don't think they're they're short on uh, on things to do. Yeah, um, you're also part of Death Dealer, and Death Dealer obviously known for uh, Ross the Boss as well. Um, how did you come in contact with those guys? Well, it's actually. The, um, the Empires of Eden album, the second one, I approached uh, Sean Peck, vocalist from Cage, to sing on the album because I'm a huge fan of his voice. And one of my journalist friends heard the album and immediately said, look, that's the standout track on the album. You've got to start a band with this guy. And uh, Sean and I hit it off as writers. And one thing led to another. I flew from Sydney to LA to hang out with Sean. And, and actually meet the other singers from the Empires of Eden album across America. And, uh, yeah, we just hit it off, and then we found, you know, Sean's a very strong songwriter, and, and I can I can pump him out. So we got together and very quickly formed the idea of a band. And on that actual trip, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Carlos Zima, he's a singer from Texas, I was partying with him, and he said, look, would you like to go on see Priest in LA with a friend of mine and I'm like man that'd be great so I, I hit the plane the next day went to LA and his friend happened to be Roy Z who um, I, I'm pretty sure your listeners will know is a pretty famous producer great guitarist uh, for Rob Halford and, and Dickinson and um, so at Rob's at uh, Roy's house is, is a guy called Mike and you know he ends up being Rob Halford's bass player and whatnot, and we just we hit the the, the pierce. We got really drunk and um, had a great time watching Priest and and uh, just really had a ball. And a couple of days later, I'm back in San Diego with with Sean, and I said, "Dude, like, if we get a bass player, we got to approach Mike because he's you know such a cool guy." And uh, so I rang Mike up and said, "Dude, you interested in doing a band?" with me and Sean Peck. I got some and Mike's just like, I'm in. Let's do it. And uh I guess the next interesting thing is I was sitting, you know, having a few beers with Sean and he said, Look, if you could dream of anybody on the planet to play guitar in the band, who would it be? And I said, Well, there's two guys that I could dream of. One would be, you know, Ross the Boss from Manowar. I'm a massive Manowar fan and respect Ross and so the other guy would be K.K. Downing, because I know he's not doing anything. Um, but I think he's retired, you know. And uh, Sean just responds and goes, man, I, I know Ross. Like, he's my political buddy on on Facebook. You know, we talk right-wing politics all the time. And 
So I'm like, well, let's make it happen. And Sean picked up the phone. Ross, uh, you know, they had a conversation and Ross was in. And uh, that's exactly how Death Dealer came together. It was just a few phone calls. And um, I guess Ross and Mike uh, taking a bit of a leap of faith because, you know, they hadn't really heard all the album. Sean and I had written a couple of songs and uh, just came together and, and we're, we're here three years later and a new album coming out. And as far as the status of the band right now, you guys put out that first album, you did some touring as well. What are your plans with the band moving forward? Well, um, you know, last year we did the Metal All-Stars tour, which went through Eastern Europe and Russia. Um, we played the west coast of LA last year. What's happening now, we just got back from Europe uh, two weeks ago, actually. We did a headlining tour through Europe, signed with a new label called Sweden Music Group, who are a true old school label of real support and uh, we filmed a video clip for the new album up in Sweden in, in the forest up there it was pretty crazy um, so the new album's called Hallowed Ground it comes out October 2 and we're I can probably announce it here for the first time we've just been confirmed for the Motorhead cruise out of Miami on huh. 28th of September um with Slayer and Anthrax, so we're doing that in five weeks. And then um, Death Dealers back in the U.S. doing some shows in January. I'm coming over for NAM, and uh, it's a busy time, but it's great. We've, we're really grateful to be with this new label for for a change because it's so hard out there without a good label, and uh, we, we're lucky we found one. So there's a very, very busy 12 months coming up. And because your schedule isn't busy enough, you've also got Blast of the Static going on. That's, that's actually um, a similar kind of thing. I, I had a really great relationship with Jeff Martin. I'm a massive fan of Racer X and what Jeff's done. Um, and we got together. I, I had actually hired him for a song for Empires of Eden, but also for a, uh, you know, a suspected solo CD I wanted to release. And... <clears throat> One thing led to another, and we wrote, I think we wrote eight songs, and it was just undeniable. And um, so that's that's actually why I've wound up Empires of Eden to concentrate on these other two bands, probably. And Blasted to Static is, you know, it's 80s shrapnel shred, you know, but with some 70s vibes and, you know, there's some acoustic stuff here and there, but it's it's really in your face and... Early early predictions from people that have heard it. It's you know it's got that '80s shrapnel era thing going on, and uh, I'm a huge Paul Gilbert fan. So yeah, we've pulled that album together, and we're just about to shop it um, to some labels. But Blast the Static's going to be doing some shows on the West Coast in January, and um, you know we've got Michael Schenker's bass player and uh, a good buddy of mine on drums from Australia. So. It's uh, it's all together. It's a fully functional touring band. Awesome. Yeah, I heard the the demo or the one demo track that Benjamin sent me that sounded really cool. I've always been a fan of um, Jeff's work as well, so I can't wait to listen to the entire album. Well, that's great. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. Where can people keep up with what you have going on? 
Well, the, 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 the two websites we have is uh, deathdealer.co.co, and we've got blastedthestatic.com, which is being built. But uh, obviously, this, this day and age, Facebook is definitely the, the uh, social forum. Uh, so you can find Death Dealer, the band, on, uh, on Facebook quite easily. And also just blast at the static if you type that in. Um, you know, if you drop a like and if you ask questions, we'll hit you back personally. So we're there all the time. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a really crazy 12 months ahead, but I'm looking forward to it. Hey, guys, this is Stu Marshall from Death Dealer, and you are listening to Mars Attacks.
All right, there you had a little bit of Empires of Eden with Jeff Martin on lead vocals. That is six feet under. And I want to thank Stu for coming on and giving us not only comments, not only the comments that you heard here, but for the upcoming Classic Albums episodes. Up next, we're going to jump into a track where Jeff Martin plays drums on once again. This is off of the 2006 Tales of Rock and Roll by the Michael Schenker Group, MSG, if you will. The name of this track is Tell a Story. And the lead singer here is Robin McCauley. We will jump into the episode, or the, I should say, the interview with Jeff Martin right after this. Let's go. 
with regards to uh, Blasted to Static, how did the band come about? Well, it, it's kind of funny how, it, you know, I, I probably would have never met Stu if, um, oh, maybe two or three years, but about three years back, uh, I, I saw Bruce Bouillet at a NAMM show, which, you know, is a huge music convention that we all go to, and we have to be there for our endorsees and, and do that stuff. And sometimes I play, uh, I think the year before, I played with Leslie West there as a drummer. And um, with um, Rev Jones, who's a bass player in Blasted Static. Um, and uh, Bruce said, hey, I got a ton of material. Um, let's try to get Paul interested in doing another Racer X album. And I said, well, I'm game for that. I'd love to do another Racer X album. You know, uh, you know, everybody's kind of busy. Uh, Juan is with Mars Volta. He's been touring a lot. And Scott's with Priest. And he's, you know, especially now he's touring a lot. But Scott's always been interested in wanting to get back together and do another Racer X album. So I said, yeah, uh, send me, give me this. So he gave me a CD, and there was like 40 either minute-long ideas or full song, you know, verse, chorus sort of things with with uh, either real drums, Jimmy DeAlt is on it, uh, you know, there's all sorts of drummers. And so I broke it down and, and started writing stuff, and, um, you know, we put this whole thing together, 25 songs, and... Uh, tried to get Paul interested in uh, doing the Racer X album. So we, our evil plan was to send him a song day until he broke down. And uh, that didn't work because uh, his hearing is, you know, really crowdy. And until he gets a, a new uh, eardrum transplant or something, he, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to defile his hearing any further with really loud, super loud music. I guess, I thought Mr. Big's pretty loud, but <laughs> he's not. Um, but anyway, uh, through that, through me working with um, Bruce like that, he had been contacted by Stu to play on uh, a, a solo album of Stu's called Empires of Eden. And, he, and he'd been putting these together out with his favorite players, guitar players and or singers, to be guests, guests on this thing. So... Um, Bruce was doing that with Stu Marshall, the guitar player of Blast at the Static. And um, he gave Stu, Stu asked him, do you have Jeff Martin's number? I'd love him to sing on a track and I'd love, you know, see how many songs he'd want to sing for further stuff that I might put out someday. So he sent me, you know, a bunch of dough and uh, six tracks for me to work on. And uh, we hit it off right away just talking. I mean, I, I love Aussies anyway. And uh, I've been trying to get over Australia for ages, and it seems I never can get over there. But um, I, w I started working on these six tracks, uh, and uh, at the end of the day, they were coming out so good. It was so easy to write to these things, and they were coming out so good so quickly that I, I, I started sending him the finish, my finished stuff mixed in with his his tracks and he just kind of got on, got, we did everything to boxer and we just started talking. I was, dude, you know, the one track I went on my empires of Eden album, but the rest of these is just too good to be a, just a solo thing or whatever. There's gotta be a real band. So, and I agreed. I said, you know, I get tapes all the time from really great guitar players all over, all over the world who want to work with me on, 
you know, on their material and stuff, and I just don't, you know, just don't seem to hit enough. I need melody, and I need a lot of other things other than just shredding and kicking people's ass around the room five times. So, um, and that's what that's what Stu does. He he's that's so through Bruce Bouillet really uh, and all that. That's how we got hooked together, and then and then nature just did the rest, you know. So, I mean, here we. You guys are in the process of putting an album together, or is the album already completed, or you guys are still finishing it up? You know, like like I said, it, I I need more than just kicking people's asses around the room. Um, we we both really love Black Sabbath, and we love the way Black Sabbath puts an album together, especially in the old days where you know two tracks in or three tracks in, all of a sudden they'd have a song like Fluff. Or you know any any number of crazy things where it's just acoustic doing something or it's echo doing something, and you know it's like a sonic palette cleaner it gives you a break from getting your butt kicked by being hopefully heavy enough and and and, and kicking your butt enough. But it's nice to take a breather in between a couple songs and and dice those in there. So. You know, we we started doing that and, and putting that together uh, through our love of of, of uh, Black Sabbath, and um, yeah, so that's kind of how we're we're weaving that all together, and that you know, trying to trying to be more like some of the the bands we came from and and loved, other than you know, and, and it's turning out that we're we're making our own mark too as doing this as anyone would, so. Um, yeah, so that's what's up to that. Do you have any type of estimate as to when you think the album will be out? We are, you know, right now we are compiling a, an electronic way for, uh, with a code that uh, A&R people can get these songs. And we're thinking on giving them the whole album to listen to so they can hear how this goes together. Not just a song, but how everything goes together. And... Um, that will be done in the next few weeks here. And um, the point I didn't make on the last question was that the album is done, but one of these songs that Stu has an acoustic uh, rendering that's going to be on the album, it's called Northam Grove, is his version. Well, I kept getting this melody line in my head from that. And uh, so there's one more song that I got to sing to. I've slowed it down. I've tuned it down. It's called Nottingham Grove. And it's kind of a love song sort of thing, you know, perfect, you know, perfect couple sort of thing. And they go to the special place. And uh, so I have to sing that one yet and send it to him. So I don't even know if Steve's going to like it. He's going to go, oh, this is, this is far too light for us dudes. But, but um, other than that, you know, we, we're just compiling this, thing so we can try to get somebody decent behind us to hopefully push it and push it in the right direction so you know other than that we'll put it on ourselves and you know anymore that just falls short you know you do need the the publicity you need, you need the right publishing people and, and promoting people and all that kind of stuff the, all the the cogs that make something work properly and uh, ho- hopefully we'll be getting that together so you know, we could we could conceivably we could put this thing out in a month if we wanted to. It's all there. Um, Stu's mixing it, and um, 
they'll be mastering and all that stuff. Uh, we've got a lot of the artwork, the, the photos, all that is already done. <clears throat> so, but it, it's all up to the label, you know, on, on, and who the label will be and all that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> we even have uh, Russ Parrish from Steel Panther on the track. Ah, okay. uh, it's called the repossession of nothing, and he's playing the lead on it. He's a really good friend of mine. I'm, I, I made a band with him right after Racer X called Bad Dog, and uh, I actually hand delivered him to Rob Hall for for fight. So every once in a while he'll come through for me and do something nice on a record, and he did a really good job on a on a song here called uh, Repossession of Nothing. <laughs> Excuse me. Very cool. That that should be a, a a very interesting track to hear, as yeah. the, as oh, the yeah. rest of the I'm sure will be interesting based off of the uh, the demos that I've been or the one demo track that I've. Uh, well, that been able should to... be if you got one demo track, it probably is repossession, and Russ is the center lead and the lead going out of the track. Ah, okay, good to mm-hmm. know. You actually played on one of my. Favorite hard rock albums of the 90s, and to me it was a jaw dropper because uh, the the band's previous drummer was a really well-known drummer, and this was the first time that uh, you were on an album as a drummer, and a lot of people thought, well, what the hell is Jeff Martin doing? He was the singer of Racer X. Why is he the drummer in Badlands? Like myself, I think a lot of people were pleasantly surprised with how Voodoo Highway turned out i may be one of the few weird ones out there that actually think that that's the stronger of the uh, two original badlands albums but i wanted to ask you what was it like to come into badlands and record that album actually it was pretty simple only because i had uh Paul Gilbert, you know, obviously is a really good friend of mine from Racer X, and and we were still, and he knew I was a drummer. I I was a drummer before I was a singer, not unlike a lot of singers, you know, uh, uh, from uh, from a lot of other bands, you know, that that are that are singer drummers. The singer from Foreigner is a drummer. The singer from Aerosmith is a drummer, um, but of course they didn't peel off and do other projects. And I actually played on some other tracks before that Blanks, uh, Badlands uh, album, but they're they're so hard to find. They're shrapnel releases here and there from different things. But um, I was with Paul, and Paul you know, came up with this idea. He got really sick of doing guitar-oriented things at MI where he just had to show guitar licks. He said, let's make a cool band and play nothing but songs from the 60s and 70s. And uh, so we did that, and we went to all these old rummage stores and bought everything that had the Panther print on it. Fur Panther print. We called ourselves the Electric Fence. And we learned over 150 uh, Beatles, Deep Purple, Hendrix, everything that was old. And, and, you know, it was almost like a skit. We said it was a real band, and these were all our songs, but all these huge acts stole these songs from us. So I had to learn all those again, you know, and uh, th- and that's where I learned how to play drums was from those eras. 60, I'm a 60s, 70s drummer. I have nothing to do drum-wise with the 80s at all. Zero. Zilch, nothing. Singing was what I started doing in the 80s um, as far as stepping out from behind the drum set. 
So when when the Badlands thing came up, and Greg Chason and I had played in a band, uh, Boondockers, you name it, uh, in Arizona, and we played really well together. You know, it was just like you know you didn't have to think about what either of us were going to do. Um, if we heard a certain lick, we knew how that was going to start and how it was going to end, and what I had to do to follow it, and um, and vice versa. So he uh, he got me a. a, a you know, the uh, audition for that. And it was a week long. Ray wasn't even there. And here I learned the whole first album thinking, oh, I'm going to get this, you know, learned really solid. So, they, you know, you can, you can do it. I never played one that whole week. All we did was work on Voodoo Highway songs the whole week long. Um, and without a singer. So we're just kind of throwing these parts together. And I know, I, you know, they told me, well, Ray hasn't heard any of these songs that we're doing. So he comes walking into the studio after a week after I've been there, and they're kind of telling me, yeah, I think you got the gig. Let's see what Ray thinks. And I think it was uh, Show Me the Way. And uh, he, he starts singing the song from top to bottom, verses, choruses, the whole nine yards, never heard the song. And we get done with the song. I said, I thought you said he uh, didn't hear it. He goes, oh, Greg, Greg just nonchalant. Oh, yeah, he didn't hear it. That's just what he does. He comes in, and the first thing he comes up with is usually the best. And sure enough, that's that. so that's what it was like. It was organic. Everything was put together, you know, organically and not, you know, shoved around. Let's move this part back to that part. And just kind of jammed and, pushed, put, you know, made this stuff feel like you were on a big stage in the 70s listening to it. Because that's, you know, Badlands is a 70s-oriented, humble pie, uh, bad company, you know, Zeppelin-y sort of thing, you know, and with Free and a bunch of other bands throwing in, those spices thrown in there too. So, um, so it was fun, you know, and me just coming off the whole, 60s, 70s vibe from playing with, and, and by the way, Russ Parrish was the bass player in in um, in uh, Electric Fence. So it was Paul Gilbert, Russ Parrish, and me. And uh, coming off that vibe, I was just I was primed to play black, uh, Badland stuff, right up my alley, you might say. So, and by the way, you know, I almost wonder is that where the beginnings of Russ taking this whole thing with all the other bands that he did were spin-off bands sort of thing. Like, you know, obviously Steel Panther beginnings really were kind of spinal tapish and making fun of bands of the eighties and stuff, but they've taken it to not the next level, but whatever level that is at the very top of the stairs, you know, it's, they're selling right. out huge, huge auditoriums now playing this stuff. And, uh, and that's kind of what the fence was doing without the huge auditoriums. We're just making fun of a genre of music and kind of trying to have some spinal tap fun with it, you know? It, it amazes me that people still don't get what um, what Steel Panther are about, and even with the uh, uh, pre-store that they oh, opened up. Oh, they're so dirty. They're so yeah. dirty. I can't stand their lyrics. They're so dirty. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think they just weed out the assholes. That's it. Only, only, only people who get it should end up at the show. Yeah, there, there was a whole to do I had with um, uh, another show host 
um, because they're going to be playing at the next uh, Kiss Cruise and people are all up in arms because of that. You know, oh, it's a, it's a family event and they've got these lyrics and they talk about, you know, hookers and drugs and this oh, and that. Yeah. And I was like, well, if you're taking your kid and you don't think that uh, they can handle that, then don't take them to see Steel Panther. Yeah, that's exactly right. The walls are really thick on those boats. <laughs> so it sort of didn't make sense to me. Um, yeah, yeah. Getting back to uh, to Ray Gillen, there are a lot of great moments on Voodoo Highway where you guys are doubling up vocals and you're doing background vocals to songs that he's singing. What was it like to work with Ray in that capacity? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, he, he truly is. I got to work with somebody. You know, you wonder how a Freddie Mercury is or, you know, what, what what's it like to be around a person that just has that one thing that makes them that big star, you know, right. uh, uh, even, you know, the singer from bad company or, or any of these, these huge, you know, Robert plant, any huge star, you wonder what it, what does it really take? And it, what it takes is that's just what they do. And it's like water off a duck. And that was Ray Gillen. I mean, I never heard him have a bad night and he just sang that way. He had that smoky, Janis Joplin voice, but then he had all that range and all those, all those trills and licks and stuff. I mean, it was just, and he just did it effortlessly. No warming. He did a couple little things before we'd hit the stage or he'd do a, do a couple trills and stuff. That was it. Done. Let's go. And uh, for me to sing with, you know, he didn't like doing lots of harmonies. I would, I brought up maybe a thousand. I'm a harmony nut, which you'll hear on Blast of the Static. I got so many harmonies on that stuff sometimes it's overkill and that's why that's why um Stu sometimes says we're treading on being queen here which is fine with me um but um he didn't like harmonies so you know where it did finally come through here and there it was always fun to do that stuff but if if, if I had it my way uh, there would have been a hell of a lot more and it was just fun singing with him so um, yeah, you know, that, that's where you just see the difference between somebody like me who, you know, I'm okay, I'm pretty good and I'm okay and stuff, or somebody like Ray who's just, right now he would be in either Queen or Bad Company or who knows, you know, but he would be at the top of his game, I think, uh, in, in the rock genre somewhere because he had that kind of, he was just that guy, you know. Was it surprising to you that um, that another album came out after that from the demos that you guys had been working on? Well, yeah, that well, the thing is, as soon as somebody dies, you know, as soon as uh, somebody cuts off their ear and paints some more and then dies, you know, um, <coughs> everybody thinks it's finally worth something. Right. And unfortunately, that just shows you how screwed up this uh well and that was when there was still you still could actually make a little money in the, the music business um as far as and labels were interested in, in getting a hold of good acts that they could push out there you know uh that stuff was always sitting around while ray was alive and we got dropped from atlantic records after we showed showed them dusk mm-hmm. um and they they didn't like it they didn't, uh, they thought it was too heavy. They thought it was this. They come up with a million, you know, 
they just heard the last Skid Row album or something and thought it was fantastic. And since we don't sound like Skid Row, it's no good, you know. And unfortunately, that's true with a lot of bands. It's happened to a lot of bands. So, you know, when that happened, we did that on spec uh, with a guy named Shea Baby at Goodnight LA. He was a friend of Ray's. And he did that for free, um, that demo, which was one day of work, not even a full day. Everything was one take. Um, Ray didn't even have half of his lyrics done. Um, that he, he did this thing like the first time I heard him sing and come in, he didn't have any words. He put a word on the beginning and he put a word on the end and everything else in the middle was vowels. And you wouldn't even know that that's what, what he was doing. Oh, yeah. My brother is bringing me another beer. Um, he hears me coughing over here. That's the sign that uh, somebody from Wisconsin needs another beer. They cough loudly. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Oh, that's good. Um, so, um, yeah, the, the, the Dust album's got so many moments that when I look back at it, just blow my mind. And once again, here it is, you know, it's just what he does. And, 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 you know, he didn't have any lyrics, and but you, you couldn't tell. And, you know, the funny thing is, is there's some jet. When that album finally did come out, Ray passes away. All of a sudden, Pony Canyon in, um, in uh, uh, and I think they contacted Shea Baby. Uh, Pony Canyon contacted him. But, but as soon as we got dropped from, from uh, Atlantic Records and, and there was going to be no deal and we weren't going to be doing an album, the tapes magically that were stolen and they disappeared. And it was amazing. As soon as Ray died, they magically reappeared and were unstolen. And, um, so, you know, I, I mean, even in, on the beginning of, uh, Sun Red Sun, uh, and Ray was right next to me in a booth looking through the glass while I was playing everything one take. And I, I, you know, I can sing and there's a lot of singers out there that can sing, but there's nobody that can sing every song one take and not have any flat or sharp notes or forget lyrics, which he didn't have to forget lyrics, have some more lyrics. But I'll put that up against any singer any day, and everything you hear in there is one time he sang through it just from our rehearsals. And even in the beginning of Sun Red Sun, he used to wear these 15 silver bracelets and those little jingles that you think I'm jingling on my drum set. He's smiling at me and he's running his fingers back and forth on his arm. Huh. No kidding. Yeah. That, yep. I always thought that was uh, you warming the cymbals up. No, nope. That's him. That's him, him just doing his. That's something like he's pointing to me going, when we really record this, this is what you got to do. <laughs> little did we know. This is a recording. So if you wanted to hear what Badlands was like in a room with you sitting in a chair and we're just playing, that that was that's dusk. There's no overdubs, there's no anything. It's just uh and and, and uh, what yeah, what I was getting at, there's some Japanese guy that wrote all the lyrics and they're good lyrics, but half of them are he made them himself, so that guy's old old publishing. There's so many rumors about a female being brought in to uh, sing instead of Ray, that there were other known entities that were brought in to take Ray's place, that maybe Badlands would continue under a different name. How much of any of that is true? Well, real true. Um, it, uh, the, uh, the thing that isn't true is 
I didn't hear that we were going to change the name, but we had this mulatto, you know, black white girl that uh-huh. came in and she sang pretty good. You know, I think it was nerves looking back that she didn't like really, you know, blow everybody's skirt up. And, you know, after having Ray Gillen, it was really hard to think that, well, now we're going to have a girl, you know, a, a, a female singer and which is fine. I mean, if Janis Joplin walked in the room, hell yeah, you know, that's going to happen immediately. But this girl was real hot and, and Jake was just totally, that's it. She's it, you know, uh, but me and Greg said no. And looking back, I wish we would have done it because it was like right before the beginning that there were a lot of female singers that were coming up in bands and, and it took off, you know? So I, I don't. I think we still would have gone under Badlands, and we might have had this this hot chick singer um, singing with us. And um, but we got a, a Indian guy who's a really fantastic singer in his own right, and he's been working a lot lately with uh, who's he worked with Vinny Apice and uh, Elliot Rubenstein. He's he's the CEO of Dean Guitar, and uh, Oh God, he's working with Benny Moore, and they've been doing a tour together. And his name's John West, and he was really good. But you know, it just wasn't Ray. You know, it just you know, we did it. We did a CBS, uh, a, a uh, uh, what was it? We we played the, the new songs that we had worked up with John West for a, C, a CBS A and R guy, which I won't name because he's a complete. Can I swear on this? Absolutely. He's a complete cocksucker in every every right of the word. He passed this same guy, a guy, passed on Surgical Steel, passed on Racer X twice, and the second time he passed on us, he signed Warrant at our show, who opened up for us. Um, he passed on Badlands and pretty much broke the band up because he wanted Jay, he wanted Jake, but he thought me and Greg were too old. And that was the, the the thing we did with uh, with John West with those new songs. So oh, I love. Well, those are the days when you could actually yell at a at a you know some jerk off from from a record label. But now you don't even get that. <laughs> there's no such right. thing, or there's, there's very little to do with that anyway. All these years since then, has there been any type of contact to try to get you guys all back together i know jake has come back with red dragon cartel but with with the fact that you guys did have tracks with john west recorded was there ever any type of communication as to hey why don't we give it another shot no no jake doesn't like me (laughs) i don't know why there's nothing I've done to him or said about him. Actually, when I saw him the last time with Red Dragon Cartel, he smiled more in one song than he did the whole all the years I played with him. And I was so happy for him that he was felt good and he was happy. I mean, I've got no ill will for that guy whatsoever. I just, uh, if anything, I you know back in the, the Badlands days, it was so hard with Ray and and the whole age thing, and and it was just it was a hard band to be in, you know. Uh, and uh, I was kind of happy it was over. So maybe he's mad at me for that. I don't know. Um, but uh, and and even with the Dusk thing, he you know when when that album went down, he didn't really 
see me as a real member to be paid as a real member or any of that stuff. And, you know, he just doesn't like me for whatever the reason. So, um, no, I don't think so. Uh, I've never been asked. And, and even I talked with Greg and, and, uh, who had just played with, with, um, Jake and Red Dragon. And, uh, yeah, he says, yeah, Jake doesn't, doesn't like you. <laughs> so there you go. You'll have to ask him why he doesn't like me. I've done nothing. I've done nothing and said nothing. Okay. And he's, he's a, he's a fantastic music. He's a really fun. And I played with a lot of great, I played with Michael Schenker. I played with, you know, Gilbert, Russ Parrish. I played with Je- uh, George Lynch, uh, Bruce Bouillet. I mean, I've played with a ton of really great guitar players and, uh, Jake is so different from all of them. He's so percussive in his playing that he, for a drummer, he's so fun to play with. He, you know, you can tell where he's going to go in a lead section. That's why our jam sessions that we used to have in Rumbling Train and a couple of these songs that were 15, maybe 20 minutes long were so magical. Just we follow each other and do all this crazy stuff. And, and he's just one of those guys you can follow, you know, um, He's not just going off on a whim, you know. He's really, really, uh, really special player. So, did it surprise you that it took him so long to come back with another band? No, no, no. He's he's a quirky guy, you know. If it isn't right for him, he's not going to do it. And if if he thinks it's below snuff or you know what's the use sort of thing. He's just not going to do it, you know. He he he's a real. Uh, I mean, we had all sorts of things with A and R people and stuff where he, he just didn't cater or cater to to anybody, or it didn't matter how big or small you were. Actually, he would cater more to the small people, just just through love, you know. But um, no, you know, it, it, he he would have had, you know, especially after having someone like Ray Gillen singing with you. Hard to find those kind of guys. It really is. Uh, I haven't. I've been watching Red Dragon Cartel, and there's nobody that comes close to what Ray was doing. And and you know, there's been plenty of years of guys listening to Badlands and you know trying to learn those licks and those things to 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 come on and take that place. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it hasn't happened. So you know, it's kind of hard. You know. It's same, you know, same thing with Zeppelin. You know, they don't want to get back together because they don't have that drummer anymore, and that drummer right. was real special. So it's, so you know, I he did he did a couple albums, Pine Pink Mist. I listened to some of that; it was pretty good. But the album I really like is the one he did with Ainsley Dunbar, um, and and uh, he I did a I did a few of those albums too at that time. I played with George Lynch. It's called Furious George. I did one with Pat Travers. I did one with uh, Kevin Bro, and everybody got to pick their favorite songs of all times, rock and roll songs, and do a whole album. And that's what that one was with with uh, through through Blues Bureau or Shrapnel, all the you know the Racer X label, Mike Barney, and uh, he did one with Ainsley Dunbar and I think Tim Bogart was on bass. And it's just sick, uh, really good, and. Um, so, you know, I knew he, he still got his shit, you know, he's definitely got his chops. He's still got his love for the same same music that I do and, and all that stuff. Um, but 
that he didn't get anything going again or whatever. Yeah, that didn't surprise me at all. But, you know, I think he had some mishap and, and uh, noticed that life is actually kind of short. <laughs> if I want to do something, I better do it. Now. I, mean, I may have the wrong take on that. I think I read something somewhere where uh, he got stuck in a wash or something in, in L.A. and Or not L.A., in Vegas. Uh, and... Uh, I don't know. Something weird happened to him where, you know, it, it, uh, he could have lost his life or got screwed up anyway. And, uh, but I could be re- reading that wrong. And that sort of stuff will, you know, make you go, well, maybe I should get something back together. And, and then he saw the love. I mean, that's why, you know, everybody loves that, the, the way he plays and the songs that he writes and, and, um, getting back to that whole man show thing, you know, I didn't see any of that smiling very much at all in, in Badlands. He was a very stoic kind of guy. He's cordial and everything, of course, but um, just, you know, didn't seem to be super happy. And just to see him that happy at, at the man show in one song, I mean, Christ, he was smiling and waving and stuff you don't normally see from a Jakey Lee that I know. And, and I, I just said, well, that's cool. He's he centered himself. He's in a good place, so that's cool. Awesome. And I, I take it that based on what you're telling me, maybe that you know having worked with Ray plays into the revolving door that he's having with all the lead singers. I don't know. You know, I don't know why he's having. He, I know there's really. I know some personally know some singers that would be fantastic in that band. And maybe they just don't want to go there or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I heard some guy recently, and he was probably the best of the bunch. Um, he played at a, re- a really new, a really cool new bar down here in San Jose called the Rock Bar Theater. And uh, this guy was pretty good. It, it sounded as though, you know, Ray never sounded like he ever was struggling. If if Ray was at all going to the end of his range, he would let his voice crack, like the singer in Free or or um, the singer in uh, why can why can I why can I remember his name? Um, Paul Rogers. Uh, huh? Paul Rogers. Yeah, Paul Rogers. He's a huge Paul Rogers fan. And you could hear, he'd, he'd make his voice crack a little bit, like the note went out. But that was a thing Paul Rogers did all the time. And and, and instead of making himself strain, he would do that. And um, But, you know, when I hear a singer kind of straining to, to do, uh, you know, high wire and get some of them high notes, and, and boy, I'm just going to myself, and tomorrow night ought to sound fun. You know, he's throwing all his bullets out tonight. He's, he's straining too hard or whatever. I just don't hear that fluid kind of, and that smoky, dual tone voice that that Ray has, and that's a hard thing to have, you know. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe his search continues. Maybe he has found a guy. You know, it's all about. He's about family too in a band. He likes to be surrounded with buddies, you know. So that's why he liked Greg to get back in there with him, and. Uh, um, uh, I, I wish him all luck in finding the right singer, you know, especially finding those seventy sounding guys. It's it's a little hard, you know. Right. Um, no, go get Bo. Get Bo from uh, um, 
the voice or what what the hell was that the, the, when Bo sang in a dream? Yeah, um, Bo voice uh, American Idol. Yeah, get him for God's sake. He's got a big name, you know. I, I bet you he 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 jumped at the you know the chance of doing a record and maybe some if not a, a lot of touring, some touring, you know, enough to actually have a really cool singer on there. I bet you he jumped. It's worth a try, but somebody like that is it's much better than some of the people I've heard. And you know what? No, nothing against all the people I've heard. They've all been good singers, but they're trying to sing somebody else that's not them, and it's it's not fitting. It, and that's what I'm hearing. You know, um, they they need Jake needs to find somebody who sings like themselves and is comfortable in their own shoes. And or can be comfortable in Ray Gillen's shoes. You know, you gotta you gotta pick or choose one of the two. You can't have it. I don't know if it can be had both ways. You've mentioned a bunch of different musicians that you've played with over the years. Um, obviously, you've sung as well, and you're singing on. Or excuse me, singing on the new Blasted to Static I'm album. I'm singing on it too because it's already done. So I think it's already sung. <laughs> um is there any project that you were approached to be a part of that somehow you weren't able to become part of that project oh yes yeah 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 the one i i love uli uli john roth i i mean his he is the godfather of neoclassical guitar you know, doing trills before Ingve, before any of that stuff. It was Uli John Roth was doing all that stuff in Speedy's Come and Catch Your Train. He he just he brought guitar to that level of playing. You know, where you're you're going into classical styling and you're you're, you're learning Paganini stuff and and just and. It was right after I did a UFO tour, and we uh, we opened for us for a few dates in England, and I got to talk to him on the bus a little bit, and he got to see me play. And actually, he saw me play uh, jamming in, uh, for uh, UFO. None of the guys would show up for for sound check, so we'd get grab anybody we could. And we had some guys that were playing Hendrix, and I, I love Mitch Mitchell. And I'm just riffing the hell out of Mitch Mitchell songs, you know, or the first two Hendrix albums. And Willie was on the side watching me. And, of course, you know how much he loves Hendrix, or, or you know, obviously still does. But um, So I think it, the tour was over, and actually it's funny because uh, at one of the shows, Michael Schenker heard I was in Running, walking down one of these boomy hallways in Germany, and I'm singing, uh, what was it? One of the Alcatraz songs with Graham Bonnet uh, on it, and I was singing the verse into a chorus. And Michael Shanker comes running out of the dressing room. Jeff Martin, Jeff Martin, you will be on my best next album. There's no doubt in my mind now. <laughs> Good. I don't want to sing with you, man. I want to play drums. <laughs> So I was on his next album, but I was drumming, thank God. But, you know, that kind of sparked that whole thing off. So I already knew that he wanted me on the next MSG album. And uh, I was about to, I was a week away, and this was after the tour is over. Lying in bed, it's like early, 6 in the morning. I get a call, and it's from 
Uli John Roth, and 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 he goes, "Hello, Jeff Martin. I uh, I really do love your drumming. You're a very vintage sort of drummer, and I like that about you. And I want you to come and to my castle in England, and I want you to do an, my next album with me, and then maybe some touring." I said, oh, dude, when you want this to happen, he goes, I need you to come next week. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm doing this Shanker album. So I, I couldn't do it because I was doing uh, the next uh, MSG album. And to this day, I mean, if I could get, you know, I love Uli's new stuff, but if I could get him just to go back a little bit, and you know, and he actually is, he's playing some of that, you know, on his on his touring and I got to sing with him recently at a NAMM show a couple of years ago. I got to do uh, uh, Speedy's Coming or something. I, I, I forget. No, that's it. I sang Speedy's Coming with him. Um, if I could get him just to play those kind of songs again, or we could do a bluesy Hendrixy kind of album, you know, psychedelic and go that route, that would be a lot of fun. But of course, it's what he wants to do. But that was in my own mind. But yeah, that that killed me that I could to this day I you know talk about one of my favorite guitar players of all time. When I hear him play, he just he just pours me into a puddle on the floor. He really does. Is there any project that you were a part of where you felt that um, that maybe the you should have been in the band longer than you actually were? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, Racer X, I thought that band, you know, there's a lot of mistakes we made. It was such a good band. I mean, after the first, everybody in Los Angeles was selling tickets to people themselves, buying 150 tickets from the club. You know, it was prepaid to the club. And then they had to go out and sell all these tickets to their, their friends and fans or whoever would buy them to make their money back. Well, we did that one time. And that was it. We played one place and they saw how good we were. And then from there on, I mean, it, getting back to the night that Warrant got signed, uh, people were scalping tickets for $100 in 1987 to see us play. And we still couldn't get signed. We were getting no respect. And I think if we would have done what Metallica did, which was get the fuck out of L.A., and the whole hair thing, because we weren't a hair band. I mean, with the with the musicianship of everybody and stuff, uh, we should have thrown the, the hairspray away. We should have moved to San Francisco and did what Metallica did and got themselves big out of out of that whole melting pot of buffoonery. Uh, because we're a complete. I mean, to this day, I mean, just in the last two Nam shows, I've been I'm getting guys from Five Finger Death Punch from falling in reverse, all these huge platinum acts now who are thinking I'm Elvis Presley because really, when you think about it, Muddy Waters might be the guitar uh, or the the, uh, the uh, godfather of, of blues. Well, right. Racer X is the godfather of shred. You know, we were one of the first bands to do, you know, music like that other than Yngwie and those, that sort of thing. But I mean... A whole genre of music is named after what we created, and those guys cut their teeth and learned all those licks, and now here we have all these huge platinum, you know, multi, multi-million dollar selling. I don't even know how the hell they do that, but they're selling a lot of T-shirts, I guess. But um, 
I think that Racer X never had it, it, its due, and that's one thing that I wish I was a singer and longer and doing more albums. I mean, I was really happy when we got re-signed to Universal in the 90s and did all those, you know, out of Japan and, and did all the, you know, uh, technical difficulties, superheroes, which is, to me, the best Racer X album, and getting heavier in the live albums. I mean, I wish that would have kept going. Okay. And you just mentioned a little while ago the the gig that you almost played with Uli. Is there any dream gig for you outside of that that you would really love to be a part of, either as a drummer or as a singer? Yeah, the drummer Led Zeppelin. Quite simple. <laughs> Something completely impossible. <laughs> but, yeah, that that I could just sit right down and do, you know, without even thinking about it. Being the drummer of Black Sabbath would also be just unbelievably fantastic to play with, you know, to play with the greatest uh, guitar duo, you know, bass player, guitar team in history for riffs and just songs. That would be fantastic. Singing-wise, I would like to be this... I would like to get a, a, a tour, a short tour or something with Uriah Heep because I know David Byron so well. I love Uriah Heep. I could sing every, he could call me right now when we hang up and say, hey, Roger, Martin, I have a tour over in uh, Barcelona. I'm going to do this thing. I'm there. He goes, you know, don't change the songs. Let's just do it just like the live album. I'm done. Top to bottom. That would be fun for me. Excellent. Um, where should people go to find out more about Blasted, Blasted to Static and find out when the album is going to go come to Blasted, out? Yeah, go to BlastedToStatic.com and you can even get snippets of songs so you can see what our direction is. I just got done playing this album in its entirety to really some dear friends who have followed me since I played my first gig at 12 years old at uh, 13 or whatever the hell I was at Palmyra High School, you know, uh, doing songs like rock and roll and stuff. So they, they followed my whole career and they've listened to this album. They said, this is the best thing I've ever done, ever put together, or ever written to. And they said, it sounds like Racer X with melody, emotion, and what did he say? It, it, but that, that that's what you know the direction of this stuff's going. But go to blastedstatic.com and you'll hear what he's talking about. It's got all the good stuff of Racer X without shredding you to death, but still having the right kind of intros and some juicy little lead parts in there. But in the meantime, there's orchestrated parts and uh, and and just other stuff going on. Lots of harmonies. Reb's bass playing is just off the hook. I mean. And, and Stu's writing and guitar playing is just killer. The drummer we got is, uh, his name's Clay T, and he's a session studio drummer, a big, a big session guy in uh, in Sydney, Australia, and Stu, a friend of Stu's, and he's always wanted to take him on the road just to scare everybody. But the good thing about this guy is he's not all about just being a, a massive double bass drummer. He's so tasty, too. He's got that bottomy sort of thing going on at the same time. And, uh, you know, that's what Blast and Static's all about. We're just trying to cover 
so many cool vintage things along with bringing something new. Actually, if I can tell you, the name comes and being I'm, I'm, you know, I'm only two miles away from where this name originated. And it originated when I was 12 years old. I was on my paper route for the, for the Milwaukee Journal. 12 years old, I've got a cassette player. Now, now this is way before a Walkman. The album right. Paranoid had just come out. And I was playing that thing top to bottom 24-7 for weeks on my paper route. And by then, my cassette player was so shredded, it just was... <laughs> Only I knew what the hell was, was playing because I heard it so many times. <laughs> and I had delivered papers at 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. I had Paranoid going, the whole album, top to bottom, over and over, everybody's door with the paper slamming in there. Monday morning, I go in, you know, get my papers and, and do the route again. And the guy goes, hey, uh, Jeff, I got to fire you. I got five calls from people. They're not actually, everybody's calling. But there's one lady called and said, you got your, your goddamn tape player so loud. He, she called and yelled, screaming in my ear, tell that paperboy to turn that shit down. He's got it blasted to static. So the name of this band is My Beginnings and My Love for Metal. Loving it so much that everything had to be on tap. Wow, amazing. <laughs> so all, all those years later, the um, that name stuck with you, and it's amazing. Well, that you no, have... you know what happened is my daughter, who is uh, getting her degree for photojournalism and wants to write and take you know, do uh, interviews for uh, Revolver magazine. She did want to do it for Rolling Stone, but they got so crummy that uh, she doesn't want to go there. She's always, it's like the old man in the sea. Uh, you know, Grandpa, tell me a story about that case you caught. Well, with her, it's, Dad, tell me a rock and roll story. Tell me a good rock and roll story with you and Rob or you and Michael Shaker or, you know, something. And I said, oh, I thought about that. Well, here's a good one. <laughs> and I told her the whole story about me being the dumbass paper boy and loving metal so much and cranking my stuff and getting fired for it. And I said, the lady said it was blasted to static. And she immediately said, whoa, what a fantastic name for a song. I said, fuck that. What a great name for a band. And that was six months before I met Stu. Wow. And it kind of floated that long. And, and even Stu, when he first heard it, he goes, how about if we just call it Blasted? And I go, no, dude, all the new bands have three word names or syllables, you know, falling in reverse, five finger death punk. You know, they're all, I said, blasted the static BTS. It's, it'll, it'll be great. And it's stuck. So there you got it. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Martin from blasted the static. And no, it's not the 17th moon. It is Mars attacks. And you're here now. Beware. Be afraid. Be very afraid.
That's a little blast of the static. The name of that track is Reposition of Nothing. That is a demo. So as Jeff mentioned, they're still working on the album, and hopefully it will see the light of day shortly. want to thank both Jeff Martin and Stu Marshall for coming on board and being a part of this episode and for being a part of the upcoming Classic Albums series episodes that will be released want to thank Benjamin from Online Metal Promo for setting all of that up. And want to thank you guys for listening to the episode. Uh, we could have gone in a ton of different directions with the songs that I chose for this episode. I chose that MSG track because Jeff Martin does talk about playing on that album. And it is interesting how he has like a clear-cut vision on what albums he'd like to sing on and which albums he'd like to play drums on. So there you go. Uh, We are going to end things with some Badlands. It was amazing to hear him talk about Ray Gillen, about the whole process behind recording just various tracks with him and how Dusk actually came about. 
So it's amazing that this is all one take demo for the most part. And it is unfortunately the last of what we've heard from the band Badland. So in any event, I'm going to leave you with the track The River. I've always loved this track and hope you guys enjoy it too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you come back and check out the upcoming episodes and please help spread the word. And that's pretty much it. We leave you with the river by Badlands. See ya. Just a young man in an old steel town I'm getting older now, it's time to look around My brother John loves his needle and spoon A cigarette hangs from his lip Everyone around thinks he's so bad He's really not that cool, oh. And I know the reasons why
for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show.